that kind of went a bit mad. Hold on. Oh, no, it's my ears. It's my my fault. Screw up. Nah, this is all my fault. I didn't mute the volume on everything else. That's I heard an echo. Oh, that was scary. Oh, screw up at the start. I'm sorry. I thought you caught my warming up in the background. Sibilance. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, those are the days. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to season three, episode three of History's Greatest Idiots. The show in which we take you back through all of human history and give you examples of colossal human stupidity and give you lessons so that you can learn from these mistakes and never repeat them again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We just love making mistakes. Oh, my God. It's so fucking amazing. So joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, my man, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on a weekend again. Yeah, me too. They fly by, don't they, though? Like today is just flown by. I went to a vigil for Brianna Gee in Wolverhampton, um, who was a trans woman who was murdered last week. And it was really lovely. And then, like, I, I walked around the town and I had some takeaway food. Oh, and I went to an art gallery. That was so cool. There was a oh, really nice. good, like, exhibition on, darkened room. It was all lights and, like, you could interact with art. And that was really cool. Huh. And yeah, I just came home and I'm like, holy shit. It's like eight hours, just fucking like that, just gone. So it, it goes, yeah, it goes it way does. too fast. And then we when should, you work, we should have more time off than we have working. That's what yeah. I think. I think with the the four day working week, it's I'd, I'd really kill for that. I really do. I do know that um, the Welsh philosopher whose name has completely gone from my mind said that uh, any society, <laughs> yeah, just famous Welsh philosopher. Uh, said that any society that uh, works more than four hours a day has failed. And I was like, I, I like that idea, four hours a day, and then just the rest to yourself to do yes. your endeavors. I think that's a good a good working setup. I can get behind that. I so, agree. I, yeah. I'll throw in behind that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's going to come to me eventually who it is, but I always forget that poor guy's name, and he's like one of the most famous philosophers of the 20th century. Um, so, Arizona, warm, warming up, how are things over there? Any like spider or or snake based kitchen shenanigans or anything like that? <laughs> not, this, not this week. <laughs> uh, no scorpions, no spiders, no rats, no nothing of that nature. Oh um, yeah, and it's, it's way back and forth between hot and cold. Like it was yeah. really cold, and then it was in the sixties, and it's like, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't it's, go outside much, so it doesn't matter. No, nah, it's kind <laughs> of. I guess like if if you had a job that was more kind of to and froing to the office or like outdoors based and stuff. Um, I, I, I've noticed that it's gotten a little bit warmer, but I'm indoors all day because my job is 100% remote as well. And I do feel a little bit disconnected, but hey, you know, I've uh, gotten used to it and I'm just glad that I no longer finish work in darkness anymore. I'm, I'm actually finishing work and there's a little bit of daylight left. That's really nice. It um, is because daylight is important to doing fun activities on your free time. Yeah, and actually absorbing vitamin D, which yes. I don't get. Uh, although I'm a ginger, we don't necessarily need to absorb it from the sun. It's the wonderful <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, um, we've we've kind of got a couple of interesting topics. I think this week it would be fair to say. Before we do that, I want to talk about social media links because I realise that we do this all the time at the end of the podcast, and not everyone's going to hear it. So if you want to follow us on social media, please go to histories. Um, at History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram or at Greatest Idiots 
on Twitter, which I'm we're live on now. And if you want to sling us a little bit of dough, um, go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots, and we will kind of send you some free stuff. Um, Derek yeah. is now making bath bombs. So if yeah. you're US-based, you could potentially get a little a cool history's greatest idiots official potentially orange bath bomb. Yeah, I could I could make that happen. Yeah, orange bath a, bomb. Yeah. What do you call it? Uh, the little bust that we have there? Do a mold. Yeah, of that? yeah, yeah. Do do oh yeah. We could make a mold. Oh my god, the possibilities. <laughs> a googly bust bath bomb. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. Uh, now I want to uh, do it. A whole line of merchandise just appeared before my eyes. It's going to be fucking <laughs> John Cena money before you even know it. My God. So, yeah, um, Derek, uh, there's a really kind of interesting one you've got coming up. You didn't tell me who it was, but you told me the the nature of their work. Can you tell me about your idiot for this episode, please? Okay. So <clears throat> I've spent a lot of time recently uh, watching like Big Think and um, trying to open my mind to looking at two sides of the story and history is written by the winners. You know, that's a phrase I've heard uh, countless times in my life. I'm sure you have too. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I never really gave it much thought and it wasn't really until I was trying to learn to dig a little bit deeper and gain a better understanding of what's going on. Um, I was missing a lot in my education in history. Mm. And I think okay. It's presented a lot of times by our teachers here, and I'm sure most places, kind of through some rose-colored lenses and written by the winner. And okay, um, like here we kind of glossed over the systematic abduction and re-education of Native Americans. Yes, that has been uh, a pretty big thing. Uh, so, Kimberly Johnson, uh, we all are. Uh, welcome to the show. Sorry, thank, thank you for dropping by. Uh, yeah. I don't really know what that's in reference to, but yeah. So um, the way we're educated, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree, um, and I, I definitely like the Native American thing. It's uh, I've done an American studies, like part of my second degree was in American studies, and one of the modules was specifically on like um, indigenous history, and it hasn't really been something um, taught much, I guess, until quite recently. I think it's been glossed over, like you said. Right. Well, the, the way they taught it, the way I remember it, is that we, as Americans, we're doing a good thing. We're bringing civilization mm. to savages and yes. we're helping them. And really, it was just crapping over cultures and killing people, which yeah. is not a great thing. And no. I think it's important that we need to recognize the ugly part of history because that's the point of history. Yes. It's, exactly. it's not written by the winners to, to make our forefathers and ancestors look really cool. It's to keep a written history so that when our living memory passes on and they're no longer there to guide us and tell us to not do stupid shit. Yeah. We have something to look at and go, Oh, yeah, see, when they did that, that was really mean and stupid, and we shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, this guy, I learned about him as not a good dude. Right. And okay. most people would probably believe that he's not a good dude, but there's two sides to the story. The fact okay. that he took lives makes him not a good dude. That's just the way it works. Straight I don't care off the bat, yeah. Uh, but here, here we go. Okay. Um, 
most people would say this man was the dude that started the first world war or was at very least the straw that broke the camel's back. Interesting. Okay. Um, some people think that maybe it was just a, an excuse for some bad actors to do what they were going to do anyway and yeah. uh, justify some power grabs. Yeah. But he was born Gravillo Princip on the 24th of July or the 25th of June, depending on what records you're looking at local or historically uh, sure. in 1894. So sometime June or July 1894 nice. in Western Bosnia mm -hmm. to a poor Serb family. Right. He was the second of nine children and only one of three that survived through infancy. Oof, that's rough. They, yeah, they, his family did not have a good track record with it. Mm. Honestly, his dad wrote him off and didn't think that he was going to survive. He was born kind of sickly and weak and small. Mm. And it was uh, supposedly at the urging of one of the Orthodox priests that his mother named him after the Archangel Gabriel to give him strength to survive. That's Grav Gravillo Princip. Yeah. That's how we get his name. Um, as Orthodox Christians. It was his family at the time living in kind of a, um, what is it? Uh, not to, what's the feudalism sort of. Yes. Yeah. You just, you're just making the transition from the, the death rattles of feudalism into kind of modern ish capitalism. And you've got capitalism emerging, uh, around about the same time as like, um, yeah, uh, kind of uh, communism, but also you know you had the revolutions of 1848, and and really when um, Karl Marx wrote the uh, the Marxist what what the hell is it the Communist Manifesto, you know Germany was still very much like quite feudal at that time. It had been feudal for most of its existence and continued to be, and it's certainly the case in Eastern Europe because they were so busy fighting off like the Ottoman Empire and stuff, that part of the world was kind of, it didn't get introduced to aspects of, of capitalism and it was still part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. So still a lot of yeah. feudalism going on. And his family is, is farmers living off of the little land that they owned. And like to give you a better upbring or a better look at his upbringing, we look at the people that, that raised them. They were a class of Christian peasants kind of known as the um, Kemtovi okay. or serfs. Yeah. And they were often oppressed by their landlords, whether they were the Muslim or Catholic um, Habsburgs eventually. Yeah. And his father, Petter, Peter, insisted on uh, living by a strict correctness, never drinking or swearing. And because of that, the neighbors around him kind of ridiculed them and they were outcasts among poor outcasts that's not good and his his father actually in his youth fought during the uh herzegovina uprising against the ottoman empire right and it was following that re revolt that he ended up settling in the um grahovo Gra grahovo yeah, uh, yeah. valley where cool. they, they landed in on like four acres of land and he raised his family there giving a third of his income away to the landlord for the, wow. the right to use the land that he owned. Sorry, sorry. A third of your income going to your landlord. This is all sounding very familiar right now. Right? 
<laughs> it, it might be something we could use to learn something from here. I know. Uh, well, nothing's changed. Different form <laughs> of life, but oh, I'm still a third going to your landlord. Wow. In order to supplement his income, because he's given a third away, he starts uh, transporting mail and passengers across the mountains between Bosnia and um, Dol Dolmatia. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Dolomites or something. Uh, like yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And despite his, uh, Gravilo's dad's initial opposition of sending Gravilo to school because he needed a shepherd to guard his sheep while he was sure. out wandering about, um, he he started primary school in 1903 anyway at age nine. Wow. Um, kind of a late start. He yeah. had a difficult first year, but he started to become very successful. Mm -hmm. And at 13, he moved to Sarajevo with his older brother, wow. uh, Jovan. And a lot of people were kind of making the, the migration at that time. Yeah. Getting Towards away from some of the poverty in, mm. in Bosnia and, and down in those areas. So he's in Sarajevo with his brother. His brother intended to put him into the Austro-Hungarian Military Academy. Right. But by the time Princip and his father had walked all the way to Sarajevo from Bosnia, uh, Jovan changed his mind because <laughs> of talking with a, a shopkeeper saying, don't send your younger brother to be an executioner of his own people. And that was the, the mindset of the 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 Serbs at the time, mm. the, the Southern Slavs, was that the Austrian uh, Hungarian Empire, the Habsburgs, were just more oppressors trying to keep them in their empire, rule their their lives, and keep them poor, take their money. Yeah, which is exactly what was going on. That's that's no exaggeration. That's exactly what the Habsburgs were doing to that country at the time. And after three years of uh, studying, he transferred to the Sarajevo Gymnasium. Uh, mm -hmm. I got that off of Wikipedia, and then I had to look <laughs> up what a Sarajevo Gymnasium was. Yeah, and... it's it's a different thing to an actual what we consider a gym. Now yeah. it's a very different thing. Yeah, it's like so for like when you hear like about me... a, yeah, like in France you hear about a salon or oh, something yeah. like that. Like that's a totally different thing in Paris. Not a haircut you know? place. Not a haircut place, no. <laughs> but so for people like me, the gymnasium is a term in uh, a lot of languages in Europe that means mm. secondary school or uh, higher education yeah. that you go to before university. Mm -hmm. And so up to this point in life, you can see he's brought up an environment of uh, oppression, unhappiness, mm -hmm. uh, strictness. Kind of tension as well, like around him in the country. Also, he's moved to a, a cultural hub where the fermenting of radical ideas is going to be part of everyday existence at this time. And it was happening a lot around the world. You know, there was a lot of tension brewing in countries and, you know, you know the Russian revolution it was right around the corner. And it was stuff, super so. wild right then. Yeah. And, yeah. and the Austria Hungarian empire annexed where mm. he was living in 1908 and That's stuff right. really started to fall apart because, um, like all the rest of the Southern Slavic states under imperial rule, they wanted to be on their own. They wanted to yeah. be their own people, which doesn't seem so wild. No. But when you're being held back from that, you become radicalized and mm. start uh, romantic nationalism or nihilist or anti-imperialism yeah. groups. And or uprising. even anarchy, really. 
Exactly. And this is when he moves in with his roommate at the gymnasium and he's exposed to socialist, anarchist and communist writing and mm-hmm. starts hanging out and associating with a lot of like minded young nationalist revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes to know and admire Bogdan Zerjek, who was a Bosnian Serb who attempted to ass- assassinate the Austro-Hungarian governor of Bosnia and Herzegovina, but he failed and then took his own life. And this is somebody that Gravillo Princip is looking up to as a a hero and a role model uh, at the time, because people are looking at him like he's a hero Mm. of the people. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to make that connection because all you have to do is have that one person who's brave enough to do something crazy. And when people are desperate and they need change and they want a way out, someone who rolls the dice suddenly is an instant hero. And that's, yeah. that's dangerous. And and the youths in Sarajevo started to visit this guy's grave and lay flowers. Mm. And the people generally believe that he was the seed the prince used to water his own attack that comes in 1914. Mm. Um, 1911, he joins the Young Bosnia which is a society um, that's made up of members from all three of the major ethnic groups. The, they're working together to, to seek the liberation of Bosnia from the empire. And they want a unification of Southern Slavs and make their own common nation, which they got eventually, eventually for a minute, yeah. making Yugoslavia. Yeah. yeah, which didn't stick around a huge amount of time, but in the time it did, it was a really interesting country. I, I highly recommend anyone who's interested in like cold war era history go back and study what happened and what went on in yugoslavia because it's a fascinating nation and the leader was was it ceausescu or am i getting the wrong country anyway totally fascinating country that was part of the eastern bloc and part of communism but at the same time tried to keep moscow at arm's length like we're doing it our way and there was like a lot of tension there so yeah check out the history of yugoslavia that was really fascinating period in history the yeah the only thing i really knew about it was the the car that sucked yeah <laughs> it was not the larder <laughs> the uh, yeah, yeah and and obviously the breakup of yugoslavia over time which is now oh, yeah. numerous independent states but yeah that was um yeah, very short-lived nation, but incredibly important in, particularly in like West, Eastern European history. Yes. Mm. Um, so now it's 1911. Local authorities are forbidding students from organizing and being in clubs. He's joining up with the young Bosnia. Um, they they're meeting in secret, which there's another lesson in history. When you start making people meet in secret and yeah. not letting them do it out in the open, you can't see what the hell they're doing. Exactly. And, and they get more angry. Can, yeah. And stuff can become more escalated. So sure. during these meetings, they're discussing literature and ethics and politics, which are all really good things that you should be encouraging the youth to discuss out in the open. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Open discussion about politics and stuff in a, a kind of a calm, measured way is very useful. Uh, doing it in an aggressive way is less useful doing it in private even less use even more less useful if that's 
such a thing. Exactly. Yeah, you you talk to people in private about politics, some really radical and sometimes dangerous things come up, and racist and horrible stuff as well. But you know, people talk about politics in private. That's where you get the horrible stuff coming to the fore. Really. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And speaking of horrible stuff to come into the fray on the 18th of February, 1912, Princip took part in a demonstration against the Habsburg authority in Sarajevo and the demonstrators burned the Hungarian flag Mm. that pissed off the police and those that were walking around. So there was a a swath of them injured and arrested among them. Gravillo was one of them. cut by a sword or or something it's believed his conduct and his involvement though got back to the school and he got expelled oh that's not good so he wandered off to belgrade after that he was almost Mm. 18 okay it was a bad time to be wandering off that way because that's when the war broke out between the balkan states and turkey in october Mm -hmm. of 1912 and he decides he's going to do his part. He heads over to the recruitment offices in Belgrade. And then later in a town that I can't pronounce, it's pro pro. Yeah. There's a load of stuff going on there. Nice. Yeah. I'm horrible at that. I, I apologize. <laughs> I wouldn't get uh, any better either. So both of those recruiting offices rejected him for being too small and weak. Oh, that's not going to help either. Holy that shit. Doesn't because that leaves him humiliated. And he I'll show you who's small and weak. Yeah, he heads back to Sarajevo, hooks up with his roommate and his friends, and uh, let's buy some guns. He doesn't want to look weak. He doesn't want to be humiliated, and he wants to be oh, a hero of his people. So it's it's a driving reason that pushes yeah. him to do something exceptionally brave in his mind. Mm. And this is another lesson: no matter how <laughs> shitty somebody is or how bad they're treating you. You can't just go killing people. No, that's never the answer. Violence is never the answer. That's such a basic thing. And I know there are some revolutionaries that will disagree with me. But I, I think the problem here is that it's like multiple uh, little man complex in full effect. I mean, potentially, yeah. I, I he, he may not have been that little, but, yeah, you know, malnourished kid from the country. You know, there's potential. But, yeah, I, I feel like this guy has had, like, knockback after knockback after failure after insult after you know and like it, it, it's broken him now he's going to do something stupid yep yeah <laughs> and and right around this same time in um the 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 south the slav lands the serbian army is having some unexpected success and there's celebrations mm. and demonstrations and in reaction on the 2nd of may 1913 while Gravilo was in Sarajevo, the uh, governor of Bosnia and Herzegovina, General Potoric, uh, declared a state of emergency and suspended the 1910 constitution of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Oh, dear. He implements martial law, seizes control of the schools, prohibits all Serb public and cultural educational societies from meeting, and shit gets bad. He, oh, yeah. Gravillo's living under this oppression that's real military in his face and directed mm-hmm. at him now. Yeah. And that's... he he takes off back to, to Belgrade. He stops mm-hmm. back home to see his parents and his friends. While he's stopping home, it's his friend that shows him this news clip, uh, newspaper clipping that the Archduke Franz Ferdinand 
of mm. Austria is going to be visiting Bosnia in June, which gives them an idea and the opportunity to lead a group of assassins back to Bosnia to attack him, <laughs> which he does. Wild. Yeah. Um, on the 27th of May, 1914, Gravillo and two friends are supplied some Browning automatic or semi-automatic pistols. They're given six grenades and some vials of poison. Then they go in the forest and they're trained how to use them. You can tell they're given cyanide capsules or uh, bottles of cyanide. Yeah, They're not anticipating this mission to not be a suicide mission. They don't think yeah. they're coming back. Um. He writes a letter in advance of heading to, to Sarajevo from Belgrade, letting his old roommate know that they've got this assassination plan. They're going to need some more people. Can you get me some guys? This is what we're going to do. Yeah. He goes and recruits two more guys, bringing it to five conspirators. Mm -hmm. And on the 28th of June, 1914, the Archduke and his wife arrived in Sarajevo hopped in their car, which was the third car of a six-car motorcade. That's right. It was open top as well. Yeah, the, yeah. the tops rolled back so that the gathering crowd can get uh, a good view. Man, we really need to... Presidential and leadership figures really need to stay out of open top cars for assassination reasons, don't they? Like, between yeah. this and Kennedy, you really need to put that fucking roof up, you know? It's... It's almost like karma for having too much pride. You want to exactly. show yourself off to everybody. Somebody's going to want to take the sun and the people. <laughs> well, so they're going down in this rollback, uh, roll top car. Uh, the top rolled back on their car. The crowd's gathering. Princip and his other five or other four conspirators are lined up along the route and dispersed amongst the crowd. Mm. They're all spaced out along the way, with each one having the instructions on assassinating the archduke when it reaches their position if they're able to the first conspirator on the route loses his nerve lets the car go past and doesn't do anything mm -hmm. when the motorcade passed the central police station uh the second member tossed a hand grenade at the archduke's car but the driver right. saw it got the hell out of there and it exploded underneath the fourth car which seriously injured its two occupants which That's set right. up what's happening later. Mm. So after the failed attempt, the Archduke speeds away. The rest of them take off. Nobody else is able to do anything. The Archduke gives his speech at the town hall and then decides to visit the victims of the attack from earlier. Yeah, there's your mistake. General decides it's a good idea to avoid the city center on the way to the hospital, but he failed to inform the driver about the decision or provide him with the plans and the updated route. So while they're on the way to the hospital, the driver followed the original plan and turned onto a side street where Gravillo was positioned in front of a local deli. Yeah, he was getting like a pastry or something. He was like, oh, this has all gone to shit, hasn't it? Yeah. Let's grab let's grab a, a bear claw or some shit like that. Like, just Whoops, and, hey, oh, who's that? Hang on a minute. Yeah, who's this? Where's yeah. my gun? <laughs> <laughs> so they're going the wrong way, and the governor... The, the general, Patoric, mm. tells the driver, hey, stop. What the hell are you doing? He stops him right in front of the shop, and they start to reverse. As he's doing that, the engine stalls and the gear's locked up. Oh, my God. It's like a fucking Keystone Cops movie. Th oh, oh, <laughs> it oh, may God. have been a sandwich. It may well. Kimberly, yes, it may well have been a sandwich it was grabbing. Who knows? Either way, it was probably delicious and enraging. 
So yep. yes, mm. it, it was a bad sandwich. It was a bad sandwich. God um, damn this this prawn is out of date. I'm gonna shoot some fucker. Yeah, um, and he actually what we do know he grabs is his Browning semiotic pistol, mm. and he shoots twice. The first shot hits the archduke in the neck. The mm. second one hits the duchess in the abdomen, and they both mm. died like right after it. Yeah, really, um, really slow, painful deaths as well. Like they weren't yeah. quick. Yeah, uh, that's not it, good. You get a liver shot, and it's a a bad bad yeah, way to you go. Feel every fucking second of that. Like this this whole idea. I, 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 terrible time to make a joke, but um, this thing about like when someone falls from a great height, the theory is that they have like a heart attack halfway down, and that by the time they hit the floor, they're already dead. Um, but um, Kevin Smith was like, imagine if that wasn't the case. And all the way down, oh my god, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, coming. And it's like, and then you hit the floor, but like you don't fully die immediately first. Uh, you're still awake. You're like, oh, I'm awake long enough to feel myself shit my pants. Oh no. <laughs> no, I don't want to think it's that way. That's not the no, way it is. No, a nice big heart attack halfway down while you're already floating to the ground. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the way to go. Well, well, they're on the floaty part. Yeah. It's excruciating and horrible, and they're sitting mm. in the car. And before he can fire his third shot, the pistol's rest, wrestled away from Gravillo's hand, and he's pushed to the ground. That's right. He manages to swallow one of his cyanide capsules, uh, but it failed to kill him. That's right. It so, just fucked him up. Yeah. So he's all fucked up. He's arrested. Him and 24 other people get indicted. And 24? All... Yeah. That's a bit. That's That's a lot. Yeah, everybody and their mothers involved in this one. Uh, um, right. All but one of the five assassins, though, were under 25 at the time. Or under 20 at right. the time, sorry. Right. And under the law, if you're under 20, you're not eligible for execution. Good. No one should be eligible, eligible for execution. I mean, I get it. It's the turn of the century, and firing squads are all the rage. Uh, guillotine, <laughs> guillotine is so passe. Let's just shoot people now. Let's give one person a bullet, and everyone else gets a blank, and no one knows who's responsible. It's fun. They get a blindfold. It's, it's great. Um, but but yeah, like fuck me. Uh, so like, uh, you're under twenty. You've still got life to live. Life exactly. In life in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Hard labor. Hard labor. Um, so the group is also dominated by Bosnian Serbs, the mm. 24 that they rounded up. And mm. the four other ones that were indicted were Bosnian Croats. That's and right. all of them were uh, Austro-Hungarian citizens. Mm. And none of them were from Serbia. The state's attorney uh, charged 22 of the accused with high treason and murder. Three of them with complicity to murder and the rest with like obstruction. Princip. Yeah said that he regretted killing the Dutch Duchess because mm -hmm. uh, he meant to kill um, General Archduke. Oh, the general. Right. So he meant to kill the Archduke and then the general, who oh, was okay. also riding in the car. But he, he stated that he was nonetheless proud of what he had done. Wow. Because in his mind, he's a hero. <laughs> oh, yeah. And kind of still to this day to a lot of people. Yeah. He, to he, revolutionaries, he is, yeah, a very important figure. The Austrian police investigators were eager to emphasize that it was exclusively Serbian, but like I said, mm. it wasn't. It was yeah, even Bosnians. slightly. And yeah. the the act was 
his commitment to free all of the Southern Slavs and, mm. and all of the chief conspirators mentioned that it was a revolutionary destruction of the Austria-Hungary uh, empire and it was the liberation of the South Slavs mm. was their motivation behind doing it all. Yeah. Uh, Gavrilo's trial began on October 12th, 1914, the last 11 days. He was 19 years old at the time, which was too young to be executed. Mm. Uh, so he was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, it was October 28th, 1914. He was found guilty of murder and high treason, received the maximum sentence to serve out his sentence in a military prison within mm. the Habsburg Fortress at um, Thurstenstad in northern Bohemia. Oh, very I think nice. I got that right. That's that's yeah, you did. And actually, <laughs> that's a good place to be sent. Bohemia is fucking lovely. Um, Even but if it is a prison. May, maybe lovely, but it, it was a fate probably worse than death because he was chained to a wall in solitary oh. confinement in the small fortress. <sighs> he lived under harsh conditions and suffered from tuberculosis that ate oh. away at his bones so badly that his right arm had to be amputated. Oh, Jesus. In wow. 1916, he unsuccessfully again attempts to off himself, this time by hanging with a towel, doesn't pull it off. But a couple years later, on the 28th of April, 1918, uh, three years and 10 months after the assassination, he dies, weakened by malnutrition, uh, weighing around 88 pounds. Yeah, not too far away from the end of the war that he started, either. Uh, no. Crazy. Um, they feared his bones might become uh, relics for mm. the Slav nationalists. So sure. the prison guards, after he died, took his bones and body to an unmarked grave. But a Czech soldier assigned to the burial remembered the location. And in 1920, Princip and the other heroes of uh, Vidovin were exhumed and brought to Sarajevo, where they were buried together underneath the, the hero's chapel that was built to, uh, quote, built to commemorate for eternity our Serb heroes, at the Holy Archangel Cemetery in Mont uh, Montenegro. Uh, I don't know. I that's a quote that I wandered into. I think I messed up in my writing. You guys are welcome. <laughs> that's <okay. laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. And it's seriously after his death. It's been at least it's a hundred years plus. Yeah. It, his mm. legacy is kind of still disputed, and and it's mm. igno it, it's historically significant, but polarizing. Because for people on my side of the, the world, he was a kind of traitor, murderer, assassin. Mm. Uh, but the Royal Yugoslavia portrays him as a Yugoslavian hero. And during World War II, the Nazis and Croatian fascists said he was a degenerate criminal and left-wing mm. anarchist. Mm. And so yeah, it's, it's up to you. What do you think of this guy? Because, I mean, you would think he's, he thinks that the, the Archduke is a horrible person and the assassination mm. is going to make everything better for everyone. Similar to, like, if you could go back in time, would you kill Hitler? Yeah, I get that. What Archduke does it do if you do, though? Exactly. And actually, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, no Hitler. Uh, I'm just going to throw that no, out there. No. Um, also, good <laughs> evening to uh, Vibrilli. Uh, evening from Sweden. Hello uh, from uh, England and Arizona. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, this is a tricky one because of all the people you could have killed, 
that could have um, potentially stopped World War One. Archduke Frank- Franz Ferdinand is up there as one of the people that could have stopped the war from happening. He was a moderate, uh, which is hard to believe in in like ruling monarchies at the time. He was a bit of a an innovator, a bit of a progressive, and a moderate when it came to dealing with certain things. He understood that people had a certain viewpoint and he didn't want to necessarily oppress it. And actually, he wanted to engage in a process of conversation. And unfortunately, he couldn't do that. And as a result, all these great powers were like, well, the fuck it, we'll line up over here now Um, against each other. And it was just an excuse for uh, an extended family to have a big squabble that killed hundreds of millions of people. Sorry, several, I guess, tens of millions of people, but... Most lots of soldiers, lots, lots, lots and lots. <laughs> um, yeah, because if you look at the pictures of the three main uh, figures in World War One, you look at um, uh, the Tsar, the Kaiser, and um, like members of Queen Victoria's extended family in the UK. They're all related, and they all look really fucking similar. So <laughs> it's a giant family squabble when only the Tsar it dies and everyone else just like sends millions of people off to the, that's, the slaughter. That's another one that we're going to cover too, isn't it? Got uh, a request the, for that one. Yeah. Um, the czar, I guess, and the czarina and the relationship to uh, Rasputin. That's, that's who I wanted a... to cover. Oh yeah. I still Rasputin's can't say any of those good. names. No, this is a whole thing. Thankfully he's a very memorable figure. There was, um, there was a guy, uh, an actor called Tom Baker in the UK. Um, who played Rasputin in um, a film about the Russian Revolution? I can't. There was a bunch of like famous actors in it, but he was also Doctor Who. Tom Baker was famously Doctor Who. Okay. He had a very deep voice, very deep and aggressive actor like this. And he was like, in terms of looking like Rasputin, he looked exactly like him. He's really tall, great, like deep sunken eyes, and really like powerful presence. But yeah, it'd be really interesting to cover Rasputin in the future. Uh, back to uh, what was his name again? I keep forgetting. Revilo Princep. Princep, yeah. So, um, I kind of get it. Uh, <laughs> you know, you uh, if you want to change things, you do have to take radical steps. He's a young man. You know, he has been radicalized. He has been pushed around his entire life. His world, the Southern Slavic states, are being completely oppressed by the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which doesn't get enough spotlight shone on it for the mistreatment of the citizens. So, well, and if you think about it too, the oppression and the lack of education and mm. good things in that area uh, made him kill the wrong guy too. If he would have been more aware <laughs> yeah. of who he was angry at, mm-hmm. exactly, and. If they hadn't had, <laughs> they had been more investment in the area. You know, the idea of an empire is ridiculous in the modern era, but the idea of combining everyone under one umbrella and potentially spreading knowledge and wealth and opportunity as a, a principle that works, but it never ever comes through in practice, especially with empires who just yeah. want to progress. Uh, Vibrilli here. Um, if you want a good film, uh, a good film tip about war and morality, about uh, killing Hitler as a child, watch Come and See. Everyone should. 
Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen that one. I don't think I have to check that out. I wonder where it's at. Yeah, have to, yeah come and see. Yeah, that might be <laughs> that might be an interesting one. Um, so yeah, I, I think with him, it's it's a question of, it, for me because there's there's two sides to the coins, isn't there? It's like he was a hero. He was you know he represented our people, and other people like he's he's a psychopath, and he started World War One. I. I think obviously with it, these cases, it's a bit like Genghis Khan. You know, to other parts of the world, he is a monster. But yeah. to the Mongolian people, he's a hero and an icon and, you know, the most famous person to ever come out of the country. So I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think he's a misguided young man. He's very angry, rightly so, and has been pointed in the right direction and just given a little push. And there you go. The world changes. Um, so uh, in terms of idiocy, it's very hard to accredit the um, starting of World War One with this guy. Yes, the assassination was the tipping point, but shit had been set in motion for oh, yeah. a very long time. There had been multiple wars set up, and who was responsible? Was it Germany? Was it the UK? Was it Russia? Was it this? It, it's hard to blame it on that one person, but for the fact that he was the spark that lit the match, that started the fire, that burnt the forest down... Um, I'm gonna go like a 79. That's fair. Yeah, because yes, he killed two people. You know, that, yeah, and they were the wrong people to be killing. But he was in a situation where the, he his mindset is quite understandable because he didn't think there was any alternative and he had to do this. Right. Um, I feel like he was a scapegoat. Yes, Kimberly, that is a fair point. I wouldn't necessarily say he was a scapegoat because he did that. He did that shit, but he was definitely like, you know, too much emphasis is put on him and less so on the fact that the world was changing and it needed to change further and that people want, were looking for a fight anyway. Yeah. So, you know, you got that. And uh, also we've got Dr. J. A mentor of mine once told me history is an experiment, experimental science. We can't change uh, the factors to see if we'd get different results. Things happen the way they happen. That's a very, very good point, actually. Um, and it's just about interpreting data, I think. Yeah. And uh, with World War One, it's it's very straightforward to say who started World War Two. Right. Hitler. Arsehole. Yeah got his ass kicked eventually but um world war one much more nuanced started way way back i mean you could go right the way back hundreds of years uh with that kind one. of really just a continuation between some of the the squabbling and fighting that had been going on between uh like ottoman and yeah. turks and that whole area was just fighting the entire time exactly like it was a constant swirl of conflict and regional differences and yeah, so I don't think you can blame this guy for the start of um, World War One, but I definitely think like he is a a young misguided person. Uh, we've got for really here resources, coal, oil, colonies. It's almost inevitable. That's very true. Look at steel and coal union after World War Two, best peace project in history. Um, I've read arguments that World War Two started in 1936. Yes, I've heard that one as well with the Japanese invasion of China. That's true. You know the escalation of the uh, the war there and uh, that incident that happened in Nanking, which I can't say because we'll be banned on YouTube um is it king yeah uh, yeah it's it starts with r and it's not nice um so yeah there's a lot of stuff there but world war one I, I don't think you can bl uh, blame princip for um because he's just like kind of caught up in the swirl of it all really 
moving away from our 79 out of 100 idiot, uh, Mr. Princip, we now move on to someone who definitely knew better, definitely had better <laughs> options, and definitely had the intelligence to make better choices in life. This is going to be much lighter than Derek's. It's going to be also uh, much uh, more recent. What's this from Vibrilli? Historians learning more, uh, leaning more to see World War One and World War Two as one conflict. Now, I would agree. There's like definitely in uh, fabric between the two. You know, you've, you've got the agreement at the end of World War One, which sets things in motion for World War Two because it kind of fucks up uh, the German country. You know, Germany and yeah. the German economy. And then you've got like brewing anger over that for decades and yeah it's definitely part of the same conflict anyway so moving on to my thing it's very difficult to say that this is one person because this is okay. really a number of organizations and people getting together and making one fucking stupid hilarious mistake but <laughs> i think it's going to be part of a wider narrative um which i may thread through the rest of the uh the podcast on vince mcmahon the owner, <laughs> owner, creator, and operator of the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment, formerly WWF. And before he bought it, it was WWWF when his dad had it. And then before that, it was Capital Wrestling, which is a regional New York wrestling promotion owned by uh, Jess McMahon back in like the 1930s, I want to say. I had like no idea it was a generational wrestling family. Oh, yeah. You look at the formation. This is a wrestling historian thing. <laughs> uh, you look at the formation of the territories, uh, which Vince McMahon ultimately destroyed when he created one national promotion. And there were a couple of others, but there was like St. Louis and Calgary and like every fucking part of the US and Canada had their own territory. And that all started after um, the the Civil War in America and the carpetbaggers moving around and they gave rise to uh, the carnivals that travel from town to town and the wrestlers that would like script fights and challenge locals and beat the shit out of them and then leave town when they, they got their money. <laughs> and then they were like, well, instead of hurting ourselves in real shoot fights, why don't we just fake it all and do it and work together and make loads of money? And that's, that's what they did. Anyway, you know, 80 years later, Vince McMahon gets involved. The WWF takes over all the territory, steals their stars, their TV slots, and them, the NWA, and the AWA are the only ones really left standing in America. The NWA eventually becomes WCW, sort of, and the AWA dies out. There's only really two left. And then 2000 rolls around, uh, or 2001, and Vince McMahon buys out his competition. There's only one left in America. Buys out WCW, buys out ECW eventually, uh, which goes out of business. And there's just one person left, and Vince McMahon is on top of the world. And then he decides to piss a load of money at the wall. So let's talk about that. Um, Vince McMahon has made a lot of money from wrestling over the last 40-plus years. But virtually everything else he's touched outside of wrestling has been a massive financial disaster. Um, and I'm going to list them all now, or at least oh, like two-thirds of them. This is going to be funny. There was the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation, which he started underneath. He started it while he was at a conference of the IBF, the International Bodybuilding Federation. He was like, I'm starting my own thing. And they're like, what the fuck? We invited you here, you <laughs> asshole, and you're announcing the competition. And um, it's basically just like bodybuilders with gimmicks posing and Vince McMahon on commentary going, wow, look at <laughs> that body. And oh wow! So, yeah, there we go. It, was, it failed. Um, Ico Pro, 
a sports nutrition brand that was launched at the same time that was around for a few years, but also failed and lost a shitload of money. WWF New York, a restaurant and nightclub in Times Square, um, lasted about a year, but there's uh, that went under because the guy who was running it stole a shitload of money. Um, yeah, you gotta w- have good people running your stuff for you. You're gonna get especially robbed. in Times Square. Holy shit, the rents there. Um, WWF Music lost a shitload of money. WWF Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. That was a massive failure. Trump was supposed to get involved in that. He disappeared because even uh, he could see it was going to be a disaster. I'm a oh historian. I specialize in um, Samic history, uh, educational history, more into didactics. Wow, that's really interesting, Fabrilli. Yeah, that's, that's a, an interesting part of the world. Uh, so m- more Vince McMahon failures. WWE Niagara Falls, a retail park. That was another failure. The Evil Knievel Snake River Canyon Jump closed circuit pay-per-view event. That was Vince McMahon. That load of sh- that lost a shitload of money as well because the wow. fucking rocket, like the par- parachute came out and fucked up and nearly killed Evil. And that was a massive disaster. He bought um, the Cape Cod Buccaneers for like, five million dollars and then the league financially failed and he had to mothball the entire thing wwe films where they produce a series of awful films all of them lose money it's basically a giant tax write-off was that the one with uh hulk hogan and was that one of their films with the dude with the eye yeah, 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 with Zeus, uh, yeah. No Holds Barred, one of the worst <laughs> films ever made. That lost so much money. Um, and then you've got Linda McMahon's failed Senate campaigns. Uh, I, you know, kind of campaigns. She had two of them. I uh, had no that, idea. Yeah, she ran twice, lost twice. The second time, you, there's video of her concession speech, and Vince McMahon is crying his fucking eyes out, not because his wife has lost but because over the two Senate campaigns, he's pissed $90 million of his own money up the wall. Ooh. Yeah. And then, more recently, there's all the hush money payments he's made to various female members of his talent roster that he sexually harassed. Uh, to- something around $15 million in individual payouts to multiple women over that. All of these failures combined cost him and his company $300 million in losses. Yeah. 300 million over a quarter of a billion dollars he pissed Holy up the wall and that's not even all of them i haven't even mentioned like there's a boxing match with like i feel like sugar ray leonard or something anyway that was a financial disaster um yeah he also turned down this is my favorite one he turned down the opportunity to buy the ufc for 50 million dollars in 2009 because he didn't think he'd make his money back i'm kind of glad he didn't he probably would have fucked that up oh he would have definitely fucked that up but you know, you promote a basic fight. Um, you know, you make your money back on like three cards for the UFC. That's how well run that company is. The length wealthy people will go to avoid uh, feeding and housing those most in need. Exactly. Like, imagine what three hundred million dollars could oh do for the starving people of like New York and Connecticut, where WWE are based, basically. Anyway, Instead, he just wasted it on stupid ideas. He's wasted it on so many and like fondling his employees when they're and like sending them he sent them fucking text messages what is wrong with you you old man that shit will be traced anyway 300 million dollars at the wall he doesn't buy the ufc for 50 million dollars but let's get to his certainly his most expensive or at least high profile mistake we're going to talk about the xfl now oh yeah yeah i forgot all about that (laughs) This is a thing, and we're going there. This is 
unbelievably hilarious. Um, so, on the 31st of January 2001, the first bad omen for the XFL came in the form of this news report. A blimp emblazoned with the XFL logo came crashing down in an Oakland waterfront restaurant after its two-man crew was forced to evacuate. The wayward blimp, yes, it's a fucking enormous blimp, meandered for 20 minutes after the two men jumped to safety around 1.10pm on Tuesday. According to Oakland Airport spokeswoman Cindy Johnson, the pilot sustained minor injuries. A blimp advertising the new XFL and Spalding sits atop the roof of a waterfront restaurant. Uh, the pilot <laughs> attempted an emergency landing at the airport, but he and his student pilot, the only two people on board, were forced to jump from the gondola because they could not control the blimp anymore. A landing crew was not able to tie it down, and the unattended blimp then floated for five miles north over the Oakland estuary and at wow. one point reached 1,600 feet until its gondola caught on a sail mast. In the Central Basin Marina, it draped over the top of the Oyster Reef restaurant next to where the boat was moored and uh, by a nearby power line and just fucking plowed into the restaurant. Yeah. Um, man, the pilot was taken to Highland Hospital in Oakland where he was listed in a stable condition. The student pilot followed the blimp on the ground and was treated and released by hospital at the marina. Their names have not been released. No one on the ground was hurt. Here comes the big part. The blimp, which bore advertising for Spalding and the XFL, sustained about $2.5 million in damages, Johnson oh. said. The restaurant and sailboat are being inspected, but a spokeswoman, uh, spokeswoman for the Oakland Fire Department said damage was minimal. It was actually end it ended up costing uh, three hundred thousand dollars, so oh. nearly three million dollars in damages for an advertising stunt before you've launched your fucking league that went wrong. That is not a good omen. No, I want to make yeah. a joke about uh, Vince McMahon and the Chinese not being able to control their balloons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's very true. That's, that's kind of accurate. Although the the. The Chinese eventually got out over the water, whereas this one was just fucking all over the place. Now, oh, restaurant barely bad. get off the ground. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Three hundred million is what we know about. Imagine the under table stuff. Knowing Vince McMahon, there's a lot because there was a very suspicious payment made to the state of Florida at the start of the uh, COVID nineteen lockdown, and all of a sudden, wrestling in the state of Florida became a necessary service and had to stay open. So <laughs> they got to have people performing on television in front of no audience whatsoever yeah isn't it interesting how that happened hmm. just after a massive payment was made to the governor of of florida there's nothing suspicious there at all anyway back to the xfl the xfl was first officially introduced and uh, created uh, allegedly on February the 2nd, 2000, at a news conference in New York City by Vince McMahon and the then chairman of NBC Sports, Dick Ebersole, who is infamous person in the history of broadcasting. And uh, anyone familiar with, the, uh, with sports and stuff will know that name for various reasons, good and bad. Um, they pushed uh, the concept as a more fun alternative to the NFL, which Vince McMahon christened as the No Fun League. Yeah, so, well, this was at the time with like Ocho Cinco yep. and Terrell Owens doing yep. like hiding cell phones and yeah. sharpies and shit. The guy, uh, what was his real name? Ch uh, Chad Ocho Cinco. He changed yep. his name because they wouldn't let him put Ocho Cinco on his. Jersey. That's right. 
Was was he Meta World Peace or something? Oh or my goodness! That that a, yeah, he's that done a few things, but yeah, the XFL was it was going to change all that. Oh yeah, it was going to be. You're going to let those people thrive. <laughs> and boy, what a disaster! Let's get so <laughs> Vince has called the uh, the NFL the No Fun League and promised that the XFL would be 100% football, whatever the fuck that means, which raised a lot of questions about how the league would survive after other leagues that wanted to compete with the NFL had tried and failed so many times. Uh, They've also been questions about how legitimate the gameplay would be. XFL promised that they would be different and that it would bring fans uh, something that they'd never seen before. It's such good shit. You've got, you're going to love it. It's such good shit. That's my Vince McMahon impression. Yeah, so um, basically, the media are already saying, Is this going to be predetermined like wrestling? And Vince is going, Shut the fuck up. There's no such thing as kayfabe. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Things like cameras in the huddles and on the sidelines, which is that's an XFL invention. Apparently, that's been picked up by the NFL now. Some of these stuff has been this been integrated in the NFL. I was going to say, I think a lot of the stuff was absorbed, including the damn scripting after this season. Fuck yes. Um, coaches would be hooked up to live microphones, uh, which I think happens now, but they're very Mic'd selective. Up. They've been mic'd up. I think they're very careful about what they pick. Um, and uh, live mics, we're going to be put in the locker rooms, which we're going to oh. be wired for sound. That's a scary fucking idea. Holy shit. Dumb idea. Do not do that. <laughs> you hear all sorts of horrible shit in there, especially if like you've got, like later on, you've got, what's his name? Planning murders, Aaron Hernandez. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't oh. don't put a microphone in those locker rooms. Oh, My man. God, these TV networks, uh, sorry, three TV networks, even bought into the hype. NBC, TNN, and UPN would all show games live on Saturday and Sundays. Players would all be paid the same base salary, and the winning team would receive bonus money. This might be the most socialist thing Vince McMahon has ever done because he's notorious. For like none of his wrestlers are employees; they're all independent contractors. So he doesn't have to pay any of their taxes. He doesn't have to give them any health insurance. He doesn't have to look after them in retirement. They're like, "Oh, we'll pay you this," and you're an independent contractor. You pay all of your own bills. Also, you can't work for the opposition. Well, if, if that's the case, how am I independent? Shut the fuck up and work for us. <laughs> you're so, asking too many questions. Yeah, you're. You're. This is how. What, this is what we consider independent. You're independent like to either work for us or not. I like the idea of the way you paid them, though. Everybody gets a base salary, and then you get performance bonuses for winning. That's I, I cool. like that um, as as an idea for a sporting thing. Yeah, it's it's it, the principle is great. Um, unfortunately, they were paid peanuts. And we'll get to that now. Originally, six teams were announced for the league, but at a later date, two teams, two further teams were announced. Los Angeles, Miami, Orlando, New York, San Francisco, and Washington were the first six announced. At a later date, Miami and Washington were taken out and were switched for Birmingham. That's quite a switch. Memphis, Chicago, and Las Vegas, making the total eight. So that's that's you know decent league. Right there, you got you know super wrestling games. cities. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, big wrestling cities, and that's like you know four games a week uh, on a Saturday and a Sunday. That that works. That's that's a good round number. Um, the league ran for one season, having ten games with strong ratings for the first week. The debut game received fifty-four million views compared to the eighty-four million that XFL thirty-five drew that year. Um, 
yeah, well, it says just says Super Bowl 35, Drew. I don't know if that was that okay. year or not. Um, the XFL officially debuted on the on February the 3rd in Las Vegas and Orlando. The world was eager to find out what the XFL was all about. The ratings were initially high, but more and more games were being played. The interest from the fans and even the media themselves died down. Uh, the biggest surprise of the XFL was that uh, players were allowed to put their own nicknames on the back of their own shirts, yeah. um, including Ron Smart, who chose the name He Hate Me. Yep. That was on the back of his shirt, uh, back of his jersey. And here's his justification for it. Basically, my brother's my opponent, he said. After I win, he's going to hate me. It is what it is. I love it when people say it is what it is. It's a, <laughs> it's a saying I was... <clears throat> wow, this this statement... It's a saying I was saying when I'd feel something wasn't going my way. For example, when I was on the squad in Vegas and coach was putting other guys in, if I felt I'm better than them, you know, hey, he hate me. See what I'm saying? Give me a chance. That's all I ask. It came from the heart, within, the way I felt. Turns out it wasn't complicated at all. Um, no. Yeah, he hate me. Simple, and that shirt sold a shitload. So good for him. He got a percentage of that. So smart guy. Um, he he got it. You know, he gets the it's a fucking wrestling promoter running this shit. You gotta throw a bit of theater in there to make yourself some money. Um that was a good player, too. He was all right. Yeah, I think Ron Smart went on to the NFL after that. I mean, he was never any huge success, but yeah, a lot of these guys got picked up, and some of them are, were like rejected trades and, and like didn't make the cut when they were doing the draft and shit. And eventually you know as a as this is a forum for them some of them got signed but a lot of them got injured um <laughs> according to sources and fans the sloppy play boring announcers and wrestling feel uh would soon doom the league attendance and merchandise sales were extremely successful at first but quickly died down as the season went on the league had an ever-changing rule book that include that included no fair catches a major part of the marketing campaign so just like fucking just broken concussions. Yeah, that's the head trauma. Yay. Uh, no <laughs> point. No point after kicks and the controversial opening scramble. Let's talk about the opening scramble. Fuck me. Uh, the scramble replaced the point, the, the coin toss at the beginning of games. One player from each team would line up on the 30 yard line and uh, fight to um, receive a football city, uh, fight to retrieve a football sitting at midfield. At the sound of the whistle, those players would rush to the ball, and whoever got to the ball would get to choose uh, their possession, basically. It uh, would result in several injuries, just this one play. Uh, several players who would get injured included uh, Orlando Rages, um, free safety Hassan Samsid Dean who separated his shoulder in the very first scramble of the, the the very first thing that happened in the very first game. One guy loses his fucking shoulder. That's, um, yeah, there's your indication this is a dumb idea. The very yeah, first that's... one, you've got problems? <laughs> the first one. So we've had a blimp that's gone down before the fucking thing's been announced, and the first game, uh, the first play of the first game has resulted in someone fucking up their shoulder and missing the remainder of the season. Oh, so, yeah, that was damn. a bad separation right there. Good Lord, Dr. J, you are correct, sir. Dear Lord, indeed. Uh, <laughs> the constant changing of the rules would eventually hurt the quality of the play. Coaches and players struggled with adjusting to the changes, which would eventually lead to games having very little offensive production, uh, which was also criticized as, criticized as slow, 
sloppy and uninteresting by fans and the media. Another factor that would eventually lead to the league's demise was the quality of the players. There were 475 players involved in the inaugural season's draft, and each team had a roster of just 38 compared to 53 in the NFL, resulting in a lack of depth in non-quarterback positions. Most eligible players that were included in the inaugural season draft came from either the CFL, so the Canadian Football League, the Arena Football League, NFL Europe, and retired NFL players or previous college players who'd gone undrafted by the NFL but had not yet signed with another league. So they were essentially just free agents like, oh, maybe I'll have to go and work at Walmart. Oh, XFL. Wow. Thank God. Um, (laughs) The presentation of the league was a source of controversy. McMahon was ridiculed by mainstream uh, media uh, sources due to the showmanship elements of the league. The the negatively this negativity followed the XFL as mainstream sports media entities would cover it, but uh, wouldn't cover it. But the ones that did did it in a derisory manner, like "Oh, look at this fucking showmanship bullshit." It's boring as fuck, and that's when some new ideas come into play. Uh, A February 2001 edition of Sports Illustrated featured the XFL on the cover, with the description being sleazy and low-rent football. McMahon, in an attempt to rescue the reputation of the league, uh, appeared on longtime football analyst uh, Bob Costas' show on the record in the middle of the season. McMahon's confrontational and defiant attitude only lowered public opinion of the league. He, like, swats at Costas. He's like, you want to fucking go, bitch? You want to go? Halfway <laughs> <laughs> through the interview, like Vince, calm down. This isn't going to work. Um, Costas was like a complete pro throughout the the interview. He's doing the usual thing of like playing devil's advocate journalism. So he's like, "So what?" But isn't it just like you're just a wrestling promoter? What the fuck are you doing here? He's like, he's being the voice of like giving you an opportunity to question the the opinions that people have got out there. And uh, McMahon's response was just like threatened to beat him up basically. Um, eventually Costas gave his opinion on the league as a whole. He said, everything about it to me screamed schlock and crap. Everything that subsequently occurred validated that impression. Wow. Yeah, injury-laden, sloppy, yeah. boring. Shit players, boring, no no offensive production, people's shoulders popping out left and right. That is not good. Uh, it's Vince. I'm, uh, but I'm not sure that we we're expecting anything more. No, this is a full-on Vince McMahon meltdown on television. It's just another million-dollar tantrum from him. Uh, the addition <laughs> of wrestling elements, such as storylines, commentators playing characters, and skits added to the ridicule and were the main reasons why the league ev- eventually closed its door. Every team had scantily clad cheerleaders, obviously because it's football, and who danced provocatively, but were encouraged to take part in storylines and become romantically involved with players. That is a recipe for disaster right there. It's like, hey, yeah. you know, TMZ are hovering around. Maybe you link arms with this guy. It's like, don't fucking do that. That's gross. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if everybody knew it was a storyline and it was acting and they weren't trying to yeah. make it seem real. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of a forerunner to TLC, I guess, at this point. The TLC, the, the learning channel. Um, <laughs> and it's this <laughs> roster of complete drivel. Uh, um, yeah, man. It was an environment fostered by McMahon, an attempt to increase uh, viewership, according to uh, ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary called uh this was the xfl the storylines appearances by wwe personalities such as mcmahon himself and the rock and games being commentated by wrestling announcers 
Jesse the Body Ventura, good old Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler damaged the reputation of a league <laughs> and caused fans and media figures to believe the action was fake and predetermined like professional wrestling. Accidents also plagued the league during the Los Angeles Extreme versus Chicago Enforcers game. In week two, a power outage occurred due to a generator not being fueled. Oh, man. Really basic shit right there. There's one guy's job. Uh, the game was off the air for 15 minutes before the problem uh, the problem was fixed, causing a massive, like, something like 50% of the viewership just disappeared. Like, why would oh, they yeah. sit around and watch a, a blank screen? Uh, the same game that went, there was the same game then went into double overtime and pushed back the airing of Saturday Night Live. Oh, by my 45 God. 45 minutes. That's messed up. That's really bad. Angering its creator and unbelievably influential NBC personality, Lorne Michaels. Nobody fucks with Lorne Michaels. No. No. And if you've ever seen, Lorne Michaels knows everybody. Like he, She's got the, the um, Bill Hader does this impression where he's like, I went to dinner with Mick and Bill. And and like he's just naming famous people, and that's like <laughs> and he, he finds it such a waste. Like, and they were just talking so much, and I didn't like it at all. And uh, <laughs> Law Michaels, if you ever want to know what Law Michaels sounds like, I mean, obviously you can watch interviews. If you've ever seen Austin Powers, the voice of Doctor Evil, that is Mike Myers' impression of Law Michaels. Um, uh, yeah. So. Yep. yep. My father was a Belgian farmer. It's it's basically Lorne <laughs> Michaels. So uh, he was so angry that he like applied pressure to NBC, who were already angry about the ratings, which we'll get to now. And like that was kind of the death knell. You push SNL and they will push back a million times harder. Yeah, for um, a game that you just dead aired for 15 minutes and then went into overtime because of lack of offensive production. Come exactly. On. Double fucking overtime. How does that happen? Um, then, uh, so teams faced large number of injuries during the season with two teams of the eight uh, running their third string quarterback by the end of the season. The season okay. was 10 games. How the fuck? That's, yeah. That's, that's crazy. So bad. That's so bad. That's a violent game or people yeah. that don't know what they're doing. Or, or yeah, or people who just aren't built for the rigors of athletics. And then there are the ratings. Let's get to the ratings. The first game on NBC drew an incredibly healthy 9.5 in the Nielsen ratings, a massive number. Uh, oh, like yeah. you said earlier, like 50 million. This is a crazy number for NBC. They were over the moon at this. They were able to charge the next week. The advertising revenue was colossal because they like doubled their ask. For advertising space during these games and they were over the moon and then the ratings dropped off a fucking cliff and by week uh, 10 weeks later there's a 12 week season or something um there was uh, the ratings had dropped to a 1.5 oh goodness yeah that's a wow. colossal <laughs> you've got less than a million people watching at the end of the run that's like am radio numbers i know like i think <laughs> my radio numbers in like Northwest England were higher than that. Like, that's fucking insane. These issues led to NBC losing $35 million by the end of the season. 
and just cutting ties. They're just like, fuck it, that's gone. It was considered a massive flop by sports media and those involved with professional football. And even McMahon himself called it a colossal failure. Didn't stop him from reviving it in 2018 and having it fail once again. And then he sold the rights to The Rock for $2 million. The Rock now owns the XFL and all of its related merchandise and names and shit. Yeah. I don't see it making it. There's the USFL is going right now too. That's right. But yeah. Vince McMahon is so bad at money that he lost other people's money. He lost other people's money and NBC lost 35 million. Vince McMahon himself lost 65 million on yeah. Million? So the NBC as an organization, you know, a big organization could kind of absorb some of that. This is one fucking guy lost 65 million dollars. You stupid man, stick to wrestling. What is wrong with you? Anyway, that's the XFL. It's a short one, grant well, you. The first season was when? 2001. And Jesse Ventura was a commentator? Was yeah, this he was. this was bef before he was the governor of Minnesota? It was. Yes, or it was before he yes. was into his conspiracy theories. It was way before the conspiracy. Like, oh my god, there, there are prison camps everywhere. I've got a femur, and yeah, okay. So, this is that. what we need to do then. The Rock needs to put him back on as a commentator <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, Can you imagine Jesse Ventura talking about shit on the exit. Uh, the ex let's be honest, look, The Rock has paid two million dollars for t shirt merchandising and like. Create like he's done it. He's not going to bring the XFL back. He'd be fucking stupid. He'll make a couple of documentaries about it. He'll like do merchandise. He'll do ironic like posters and like bits here and there. Two million dollars is nothing to that guy. He gets like ten times that for uh, well, any film he makes. He's relatively smart, so he knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, it's it was a weird one. I, I considered covering Vince McMahon, but. Covering Vince McMahon's failures and idiocy, especially as someone who worked as a wrestling journalist, I could have done two hours by myself on yeah. Vince McMahon's unbelievable failures over the years. But as successful as he's been, um, I just wanted to focus on the XFL because this wasn't just his failure. This was like Dick Ebersol was involved in this. NBC should have known better because they'd had previous dealings with Vince McMahon as well because they used to produce a TV show for the WWF and WWE called Saturday Night Live. Sorry, not Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Main Event. That was it. Saturday no. Night's Main Event. Um, <laughs> it was like two or three specials a year. And it started out doing great. The first Saturday Night Main Event was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant rematch for the WF title. And there was a whole screw finish. And 33 million people watched that shit. That one match. It's still the highest rating wrestling match on any television show ever. It, not quite pay-per-view. But, you know, 33 million right. people watched that. And every, every, every single one they ran after that, the ratings plummeted. And yet they still wanted to do business with Vincent Man, I guess, because it's 2000. Wrestling is shit hot at that point in time. Uh, the Rock is on top of the world. Steve Austin is on top of the world. You've got people like Triple H and The Undertaker and Mick Foley who are doing really well. WCW, there's a bunch of free agents around, you know, still making money. So they think, hey, Vince McMahon must know what he's doing. No, he doesn't. He yeah. is a carny motherfucker who knows wrestling, and that's it. I feel like if the XFL were more scripted and more wrestling and made more exciting <laughs> yeah. through scripting, there would be less injuries. Yeah. And it would be more successful, and people would want to watch it beyond it being a novelty that it was. Exactly. A one season wonder. 
as well because we never got a second season of the XFL. The first season was such a disaster that they just gave up. Vince McMahon does not give up unless he's lost so much money that they're like, oh my God, my accountant's telling me to drop this now. Which Yeah, my wife is lot, not right? running for a third term now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she ain't. No. But it's interestingly, Linda got appointed by Trump to um, small business board. So oh. she eventually became a politician of sorts. But it's like, you're used to running a business here. Go and run this business thing, whatever. But don't let Vince I, touch it. No, don't let Vince anywhere near it. And by God, if that's what you, you know, if that's what you get from $90 million, you might as well get that fucking money. You know, Jesus, a special board for advising small businesses. That it's not worth $90 million. So, yeah, what do you make of the XFL? And I mean, partially the, the kind of the financial disaster it was because it was it's within our lifetime. It was definitely a thing. I mean, less so in the UK. We really only heard about it through WWE programming at the time. Um, but how what was it like over there? Um, I remember it just it. It was supposed to take the place of the off season, like after That's the right. Super Bowl, you were going to still have football all year long now, and it was going to be more <laughs> exciting, and it was going to be more interesting, and it was going to be extreme. That's right. And, uh, and then Failed. it was boring. It was the, the, dumb. Interestingly, and... the initial plan with this, and I didn't cover this, uh, Vince wanted to buy the CFL and bring it to America, which mm. means that it wouldn't be the CFL anymore. So what the fuck were you thinking there, dude? Yeah. Um, well, there's there's another league now that's starting up here. USFL is starting yeah. a secondary league. But there's, like, football burnout. Like, by the time you get to the Super yeah. Bowl, yeah, you enjoyed it. It was exciting. But now it's time to go watch the other sports, basketball and hockey it, and baseball and stuff. Yeah. And, like, I know – and it's the same thing here because – Football, soccer, it's such a huge thing over here. And we, our season, the Premier League season, is 38 games. And then, like, the leagues below, which are, people are also into, because, like, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney own Wrexham now. Yeah. Their season's, like, a minimum of 46 games. That's just in the league. And then you've got all the cup games, so you're looking at close to 60 games a year. So it's, it's a lot on these athletes. Um, there is an element of burnout. But people... There's like a, a stage, I feel like, because I'm not a massive football guy. I play football manager, but that's just a computer game. But I feel like there's a period of like a month after the end of the season where people are like, oh, that was fun. But then like about a month and a half after that, they're like, mm, I miss football. When's yeah. football coming back? You know, I, I get the idea of like perpetual all year round stuff, but I, I think you're right. I think there would be burnout. You do need an off season. Yeah, you These can't people miss are kill themselves. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got to miss it a little bit. So, but, yeah, I would I would say the XFL overall, if I were to rate it as a uh, an idiot in itself, the league <laughs> and the yeah. loss of money, mm. um, I'd put I'd put that eighty three because it was so dumb. Like yeah. it just wasn't thought out. It wasn't executed well. It could have been awesome. Yeah, it wasn't. I, th I think maybe if they'd taken a couple of years to plan it, because this all feels rushed, right? This feels like. He had a meeting with Dick Ebersole and NBC, and they were like, hey, how quickly can we launch this thing? Well, six months. You know, it feels like yeah. Fire Festival. Like, if you'd given it time, it might have worked. And if you'd structured it properly and maybe thought it through a bit more than, and recruited the right people, like the idea of recruiting retired NFL players isn't necessarily a bad idea, as long as you're recruiting the right guys. And the same thing, like, if you cherry pick 
who you're bringing in to the draft, then it becomes a little bit more interesting. And maybe you keep it to six teams and then you expand to eight teams and then you go to 10 or whatever it is. But start out with six teams, you know, have a pool of like 400 players and, and, you know, go from there. But it all felt rushed. Give it two, three years. This could have been a thing. But yeah, it wasn't. Well, the thing is, too, he's poaching from arena football teams, which yeah. play in the season that's off from football already. So it's not like if people really want football, it's shorter fields yeah. and more exciting. And it, the the XFL should have been more like arena football. I I agree. I I think they tried because they they said they were the anti NFL, but it it's you know you're still using the same structure as the NFL essentially. Mm-hmm. So who gives a shit? Do something different. There's there's a, a thing in cricket. So, random poor example in the UK. <laughs> uh, cricket test match cricket, which is traditional cricket. A ma- a test match of cricket lasts three fucking days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long time. Yeah, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And like to watch it as a sporting event, like you get yourself a beer, you get yourself some food, you sit back in the summer air. It's kind of relaxing. But three days of that shit is enough. Is enough. So eventually, twenty twenty cricket came around, and that is twenty overs. That means that this game of cricket is over in two hours. Oh, and there you go. You can play it at night under lights. The pitch is shorter, so people are just smashing this fucking ball all over the place. And all of a sudden, like the the last couple of overs, like when oh my god, we've got we've got to get thirty eight runs off six balls. How we're gonna have to smash this fucking thing everywhere? There's drama there. You know, so if the XFL had done that, they'd taken the aspects of football that worked and, like you said, combined it with arena football, maybe changed it, maybe changed the number of people on the pitch, maybe changed some of the rules, maybe not have so many separated shoulders. It could have worked. Honestly, I'm looking forward to this flag football, the women's flag Mm -hmm. football that's coming professional. My son's baseball coach is the high school girls flag football coach as well. That nice. One, I think they won state, but God, oh, wow. that is a fun sport to watch, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I like mm. the idea of watching stuff like this. It's, it's an interesting time because like there's a few sports that are like coming out like pickle. Is it pickleball? Oh, yeah, Some that's shit. huge now, too. Yeah, I don't even know what it I, is. I know it looks really fun. I would totally watch that shit. And there's another sport where there's like a a fucking trampoline, a small trampoline in like the middle oh. of these two, and they they like smash the ball into it, and it they're running around and trying. That that shit looks fun too. That um, is really fun, and I can't remember the name of it. We used to yeah. play that at uh, one of the my son's training places. Like yeah, uh, and you get like there's a whole bunch of these sports that are coming up, and it's a really exciting time. Things are getting adopted into the uh, Olympics, but I feel like. Again, with the XFL, and I understand why Vince tried to relaunch it in 2018. COVID fucked that up really badly. Oh, yeah. But I feel like, you know, there is a, an appetite in the world for stuff that's slightly new, slightly different, uh, and, you know, independent of the big stuff. So the XFL could have worked again back then. And by now, you know, you look at it would have come around around about the same time as the UFC was starting to find its feet. And, you know, look at that now as like one of the leading sports attractions in the world. Oh, yeah. So, that got so huge. Massive. You know, we're talking three million pay-per-view buys a year from, you know, the UFC. That's kind of crazy. That's big money. So I feel like if the XFL had been planned properly, 
been given time to mature, you know, you could be looking at a very viable alternative. But again, like you say, you do need a down season, even if it's a month either side. Like yeah. month break from the NFL, XFL, then another month's break. You suddenly become, you know, less jaded at the idea. But yeah, yeah. I think 83 is fair. Um, the XFL was an interesting experiment. It was an interesting idea. Elements of it have been adopted into the NFL now, which I like. Uh -huh. Some of the guys got signed up. And, you know, and also, I'm sure there are people involved in, in the production of the thing that would have been like, this is my shot, you know, and, you know, whether it works or not doesn't really matter. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give it my all. And if I'm only remembered as one of the guys from the XFL, that's good enough for me. And I, I, I kind of like that. But, you know, there are aspects of it that were positive. It's just it was so poorly executed. And it's another example of high-level executives who make decisions. They don't think things through at all. And that is so frustrating because there are plenty of people out there who could have done that fucking job and gotten paid 10, ta 10 times less than those and fucking idiots successful. did. Yeah, and actually made it successful. So... I, I will gladly take an 83 for the XFL. An interesting concept, but completely flawed in its execution. And um, our That's man, why I scored it so high, is because yeah. it could have been cool. Could have been really interesting. And our friend um, Prisep, am I? Prisep? Yeah, Gr Grivilo Prisep. Grivilo Prisep. Um, yeah, kind of involved in the start of World War One, but not really, because it was kind of already on the Misguided youth. Point misguided youth who had access to firearms and a, a whole lot of vim and vigor and, and, and that was that and, and grenades yeah and poison, and poison which didn't yeah. work like maybe no. get the maybe get the stuff that's in date next time you know if you're going to make cyanide capsules you know yeah. go for the new stuff don't get the stuff that's been at the back of the cabinet for a few weeks you never know what's going on with that it's been there a while you know well, so. and, and let's be honest never mind uh, i was going to say he shot people <clears throat> yeah. why do you need poison <laughs> exactly yeah what's that about like is that your backup of a backup because the grenades were pretty pretty solid as yeah. you be as your plan b you know i guess the 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 next thing would have been like the sandwich that he had and it's just beat just beat him with the, beat fan, the bag lunch. take this mayo <laughs> <laughs> but yeah sorry we joke. just in case yeah i guess enough time's <laughs> passed that we can now make fun of franz ferdinand's ass assassination and but Sorry. uh <laughs> yeah. I make fun of everything. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, nothing sacred. No, nothing, nothing matters. Uh so yeah, uh, that was an interesting show. I really enjoyed like um Prisat because he's not what you would consider a traditional idiot, but it's certainly misguided youth, as you said. Um, and someone who was kind of if it weren't him, it would have been someone else, maybe. Like there was so much going on at that time, like it was gonna be someone was gonna do something stupid. Yeah, so, something was going to happen. Yeah. And the XFL, just a failed fucking experiment of insanity and ego gone crazy. And it wouldn't be the last time. Vince McMahon is now back in the WWE, everyone. He basically threatened. He was like, you not... Because they're trying to sell the company at the moment. And there are rumors going around that like the Saudis are trying to buy it. Disney oh, are no. trying to buy it. NBC are trying to buy it. Which is oh, like, when well, are you going to fucking learn your lesson? Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, the, the, it's up for grabs. That eight billion dollars has been banded around, which we should yeah. sell it to the state of Florida. Sell it to It'll Florida, be amazing. Yeah. 
that would be could you imagine florida becomes not just disney world and all those other rides but a full fucking wrestling in one state that would be yeah i i don't know as the state of florida i mean they've been big expansion they got eight billion dollars spare it would be a good investment internal yeah. revenue for wwe is like 450 million a year that's like easy money right there florida come on buy yourself a wrestling organization <laughs> uh kimberly's loving this thank you kimberly um so yeah that's that's our show for this week i had a lot of fun researching this one because i like i said i could have done hours on vince mcmahon and his really fucking because vince mcmahon was called a genius for a very long time usually only by people involved in wrestling and i always said when because he bought wcw for for two and a half million dollars for nothing that's that's a very good buy because the 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 um back catalog of like previous events that he's now got on the wwe network has earned him at least 10 times that in terms of like people signing up to the network to watch wcw it's at least like 25 million dollars um so um smart investment he took that and totally fucked up the (laughs) relaunch of wcw and it was such an easy thing to do that anyone could have done it and at that point i was like this man is not a genius he's a decent businessman but it's only in one avenue of business it's kind of like the idea of elon musk being a genius is no longer really being floated around because he's fucking up so badly same thing with zuckerberg you know you have and i i've always argued this about george lucas george lucas is a man who had one good idea and that's it and just ran with it really well zuckerberg bums me out because when i go Mm. back and watch the social network and see why it was created and his sort of mindset yeah it directly pushed the algorithm to make the world suck the way it does right now exactly yeah <laughs> and we we realize the world we're living in now and we again we talk about still being in a post 9-11 world and an element of the psychology that's going on now is is based from the trauma of that event but there are very powerful business people who think they're geniuses and surround themselves with sycophants who are marshalling us towards anger and rage constantly. Mm-hmm. And they are fucking idiots. Glass Onion was one of the best ways of demonstrating that people who are industrialists and considered geniuses are actually really fucking dumb and shouldn't have anywhere near the power they do. <laughs> so uh, Vince McMahon is one of them. Unfortunately, he is part of a dying breed because these 80 year old industrialists who have got massive egos like him rupert murdoch trump these people aren't going to be around for much longer putin is now what 70 something yeah but the unfortunate thing is in a lot of cases the it's going to be the second generational wealth of douchebags that didn't even have to earn it and yeah be smart enough to not lose it all yeah the the nepo kids Gen X, Nepo kids are going to be a problem. This is my area of history. My PhD is in US companies that did business with the Nazis. Oh, boy. Dude, that's that's the whole thing. That is a documentary that I'm trying to get my hands on again without paying for it because I'm cheap. But the (laughs) US and the Holocaust. Oh, interesting. That's a good documentary. It was on PBS. Yeah. Uh, But it's, yeah, the intertwinedness. Yeah. It's it's kind of an interesting thing as well because there's this whole thing about we didn't know that the Holocaust was happening. There were my I've spoken to my grandmother about this. She's like, we knew. Like the, there were news reports coming out all the time about like they're pro- them rounding up Jewish people. They're sending them to random locations. It sounds like they might be killing them. Like people around that time knew, and certainly the internal intelligence thing knew, mainstream media knew, 
So this idea and, and the German people, oh, we had no idea that that was happening. They fucking knew. So, yeah, I think that would be a really interesting documentary to find. Uh, they weren't half as smart as they think they were. Very true. So yeah. any, you know, you can, it's okay to look up to people who have been successful in business. That's totally fine. They've usually hit on an idea. They have followed it through. They've given it their all. They've made money. It doesn't make them infallible. And it certainly doesn't mean that you should be kissing their ass like people do with Elon Musk and fucking Andrew Tate uh. and all these people who have got an army of followers. And if they stop suddenly in a corridor, there'd be so many heads at their ass. I swear well, to God. It's the, the important message, though, is that uh, it's okay to look up to people, but make sure you look into them as well. Because yeah. there's, I mean, dude, sex trafficking, uh, horrible things with Andrew Tate. Elon Musk didn't yeah. really become a millionaire. He was. He already was. He started yeah. that way. Yeah. And uh, Donald Trump, you know, who oh. self-made man just got $7 million loan from his dad uh, yeah. well, and went bankrupt four times. <laughs> How smart do you have to be to go bankrupt running a casino? Like, that's impossible. It's so it. fucking easy. I could do it. Christ. Anyone can make money from gambling. It's the easiest thing in the world. Just feed people's addictions. Don't do that. Don't get into it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, seriously, um, really interesting episode this week. Thank you so much to Jay and Kimberly and uh, Vibrilli and a bunch of other people who dropped by. Thank you so much for dropping by and, and you really made the show amazing. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, again, I'd like to remind you, History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram, at History's Greatest Idiots, and at Greatest Idiots on Twitter. You can also find us on YouTube. Go and have a look at YouTube. All of these videos are uploaded and there's like, man, there's nearly 100 hours of like probably over 100 hours so at this point much talking. so much talking of <laughs> if you want to fall asleep to our videos well help knock yourself out you could listen to us for like four days straight at this point um yeah we're on youtube and also if you go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots sling us some cash and help us out and um yeah we we might even send you a bath bomb thanks for the show gents <laughs> dr j you are welcome um i really like having people hang out here like this I and, love it. and I that's love gonna be cool streams. Two, yeah. you, you're going to want to follow the socials because we're going to announce when we're going live and you can come play along with us. So Yeah, please do. We're going to make that a big thing from now on. We're going to do that. Uh, thanks, guys. So glad I could finally catch a live. That's really cool, Kimberly. Thank you. It's, we really appreciate having you here. Um, you're going to be featured on the podcast now. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> please do come along. Follow us on socials because we, we, like, we will be updating them when we go live. We also, uh, Twitter is broadcast live, so you can watch it on Twitter as well as um, YouTube and Twitch. If you if you go and look on there, that's linked in our socials as well. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Hi, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you so much, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care now. Bye. <laughs>